You know, I think one of the hardest things that we can experience as human beings is a sense of powerlessness. So one of my new hobbies over the last year is I've really gotten into weightlifting. Uh, I've kind of retired from running. I've hung, up, I've hung up my running shoes. I'm no longer running anymore. Uh, I'm only lifting weights. Can you guys still hear me with this? There we go. And uh, about maybe eight or nine months ago, I was, uh, I was working on you know, the bench press. And uh, I, was, I was really trying to go for, for, a higher, uh, for a higher amount of weight. And so I, I put the weight on there, and, and, I, and I'm getting, you know, all right, rep one, okay. Rep two, maybe I can get one more. Bring it back down. Oh, no. <laughs> the power has run out. <laughs> and my mind, probably in a matter of this only happened like three seconds, but my mind started racing. What do I do? Okay, can I try to get up, try a little harder? No, that's not going to work. Okay, can I, uh, can, can I dump the weight to the side? Oh, no, I put the clips on it. I can't dump the weight. Can I try to roll it forward? No, it's too heavy. So then all in, this, in a matter of seconds, I did the only thing that I knew how to do, which was to say, help! <laughs> help, help me! Someone, please help! So Laura and Navia come down into the weight room. They are terrified. And finally, between the three of us, all pushing this thing up, <laughs> finally we got it back up to the top. My life was spared. Amen. But a sense of powerlessness. I didn't have the strength to get it up. It felt terrible. It felt horrible. It's a terrible feeling when you don't have the power to overcome the obstacles you're facing. When we don't have power over circumstances in our lives. When we don't have power over what happens to us, to our families. When we don't have power to change others or even to change ourselves. Feeling powerless is a horrible feeling. In fact, I read something recently that the reason we've seen so much, uh, one reason that we've seen so much worry and anxiety increase in our age is because people through media and social media are introduced to all kinds of problems over which they have no power. Whew, doesn't that ring true? When we feel powerless, it's like with, with me lifting weights. I think our mind starts racing. What do we do? How can we, what can we do? We, and we start grabbing at anything that might help us feel like we have a little power again. We have a little control again. And the problem is, friends, we often reach for things other than God. We often reach for things other than God. We feel powerless over an issue that we disagree with and people think, so we think, oh, I'm going to write a scathing social media post about why they're wrong. That will fix things. <laughs> right? Or we feel powerless to, ha to uh, uh, change somebody, maybe to change a family member, so we, so we begin to micromanage or manipulate to try to change them. Or perhaps we, we want to help ourselves through a tough time, so we reach for comforting, comforting food or a diversion, a TV show or alcohol to try to give ourselves a little bit of control. I want to help fight this bad feeling that I'm in. And you're calling for help, friends, but you're calling the wrong number. You're calling the wrong number. God, God alone is the only power, the only power that is true, strong, and good that will not ultimately make your life worse like these other false powers, but he will make things better. He will give us the strength and power we need. God alone. In fact, it's in the moment that we feel most powerless where God often works the best. You know, Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. And friends, that, that is a truth that you need to have deep inside you for those moments when you feel powerless. 
we need to say, when I am weak, I am strong in Christ. Can you say that with me? When I am weak, I am strong in Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, when you are weak, you are strong in Christ. And some of you are saying, some of you are like, you're, you're really weak. You really need some strength. <laughs> you really needed this. Uh, but friends, we're continuing our sermon series uh, through the book of Acts. And uh, today we're going to uh, get to Acts chapter 8. I invite you to turn with me there um, in whatever form of Bible you might have. Um, and we're going to see four ways where God's power is mightily at work in a variety of situations. And the first way that I want to highlight where we see God's power is God's power reverses evil for good. God's power reverses evil for good. Now, remember last week, uh, Stephen was martyred, uh, the first martyr for Christ. And then we get to this story, and it says, Saul approved of their killing them. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Talk about a situation where you would feel powerless. You know, when the pandemic broke out, none of us asked for it, right? And we felt powerless. This is a pandemic of, of persecution breaking out against the church. They didn't, they didn't ask for this. They didn't sign up for this. They feared for their lives. They weren't able to organize and go to the same place. They all had to scatter away from each other throughout Judea and Samaria. They could no longer meet with the church in Jerusalem and the temple worshiping God. They could no longer meet in the same house over their fellowship meal. Gone are the days where they're eating together with glad and joyful hearts as we like to talk about and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now they're enjoying the ridicule of all the people and no longer eating together. And it says Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Put yourself in this story. Imagine this happening to you. Christians, they no longer felt safe in their own home. Someone, Saul or someone else might come and drag me off to prison at any day or night. They had to flee. Jerusalem was no longer safe. They had to get out of there, leave their homes, leave their possessions. In situations like this, sometimes the, the pain or the suffering and the sense of powerlessness can feel overwhelming. And it might seem like all the progress the church was making, all this wonderful growth we the, the church was experiencing, perhaps it seemed like, all that, well, that's null and void now. You know, all this, all these wonderful things the church had experienced, it, you know, they're no longer a large congregation. They're no longer worshiping in the temple. They're scattered about. And no technology to keep them connected, just small pockets of believers throughout the area. So maybe they would ask, you know, is the church ever going to recover? from this? Would the believers still grow in their relationship with Christ? Would they survive without the centralizing in Jerusalem? Would they be able to spread the gospel without the help of the apostles? It might seem as if Satan had won. Maybe Satan had finally got a victory on them. It seemed as if maybe Saul was truly going to destroy the church. But friends, Jesus Christ has forever changed how we should interpret what happens in this world. He has forever changed how we should interpret even the evil that happens. Because at the cross, it seemed as if Satan had won. It seemed as if all had been lost. As if everything that Jesus had worked for, it's all gone. 
It seemed like the movement was going to die without him. But what seemed like the ultimate defeat was actually the ultimate victory of God over sin, Satan, death, and hell. Jesus reversed it totally. God's power alone can reverse evil for good. And this is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 8. All this persecution is breaking out, and then in verse 4 it says, those who had been scattered moved on, preaching the good news along the way. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and began to preach Christ to them. Remember, this is what Jesus had commissioned the church to do, to go and spread the good news of the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, they're finally getting there, and they're scattering about, you shall be my witnesses. And so God is using this evil of persecution that they didn't ask for to bring about the salvation of more and more people. And also, we cannot forget that God's people were ready. In season and out of season, they were scattered, they left their homes, and they were ready to share the good news. So we too must be ready. It's like the story in Joseph. His brother sell him into slavery. He was unjustly imprisoned for many, many years. And after reuniting with his brothers years later, he says to them, you planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it. In order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. God is still doing it today, friends. Satan plans to harm us. People may harm us. This world is broken and unspeakable tragedies happen. But when they do, we know where to look. We look to the cross. We look to the cross of Jesus. Because there we know that God is at work. Somehow, some way, by faith, we believe that God will reverse this thing and somehow use it for good in his time. Nothing is wasted with God. And we look to the cross knowing that no matter what happens to us, no matter what we experience, it cannot mean that God somehow does not love us. Because he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He went to the cross to redeem us and save us so that we might have eternal life with him forever. So this horrible thing might happen to me, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. I look to the cross and I know and I believe he wants to be with me forever and ever. And one day he will wipe away every tear. There are things that we are powerless over, yes, but God is powerful to redeem. And it's in your power, powerlessness, friends, that God is going to strengthen you and help you and comfort you so that, like Joseph, he might use you to bring about the salvation and comfort and strength of other people as well. And some people will look at you and say, I don't know how you're getting through this. And they'll say, this is a strength that doesn't seem possible, and that's because it isn't. It's not humanly possible. It's a strength from Christ. When I am weak, when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. This is the first way we see God's power at work is God is always reversing evil for good. The second way in the story that we see God's power at work is God's power turns us from idols to himself. Turns us from idols to himself. Now, I think this is one of the most weird and interesting stories that we don't read very much in the book of Acts. It's about a man named Simon the sorcerer. Uh, so it says, verse 5, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. 
Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, they gave him their intention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Wow. Simon the sorcerer, through these spells and magic and demonic power, he could perform all of these signs and wonders in front of the people. And he boasted that he, he was somebody great. He was someone worth following. He was someone paying, worth paying attention to. And people even agreed and said, this man is either a manifestation of the great power of God or perhaps he even is God. This is blasphemy. When we give things power that only God has, that's idolatry. When we treat things that like they have a power that they don't truly have, that is idolatry. And Simon's spells had become spell-binding over the people. And now, here's Philip proclaiming the Messiah, proclaiming Jesus to the people. People are healed, demons are driven out, and people are being liberated from all of these false idols. And Simon himself, he believes and gets baptized. Now, you need to understand that in ancient religions, one of the reasons people you know, followed so many gods and different gods is because really at the heart of it, they wanted to gain power over a situation in which they were powerless. You know, if you, if you want crops, crops over which we have no control, if you want to make sure the weather is good and you're going to have a good crop this year, then you need to do all of these rituals and all of these prayers in front of Baal so that it rains. You know, if you, if you want, uh, you know, wealth and all of these other things, then you can worship this God. If, if you want lots of children, then you can worship at the God of fertility. If you want even to curse somebody in sports, then you can, there's a God that you can worship for that. All of these situations where people felt powerless, they wanted to do something to gain power over. Perhaps we can identify with that desire. Because we might think all oh, these people are totally ignorant to, wor- to worship all these pagan idols. It's, we do the same things, though. When we give power to things that only God has, or when we treat things uh, that like God when, and we give them power over our lives. You know, we do this with money. When we think and live like money can give us what we need, when money can give us power, that it'll buy us happiness and security. When we store up treasures on earth and not in heaven. We believe, sometimes we believe money will get us what we want, and, and you know, the more, the more the better. The more the better. Friends, money is a terrible God. It's a terrible God, and it does not have the power we often think it does. You know, we do this with people, people who amaze us like Simon did to the people. We can get caught up in following a, a person or a movement or a politician or, or a celebrity more than we are Christ. You have to ask yourself, who, who's capturing my attention right now? What's capturing my attention? Perhaps if you're, if you're listening to a news analyst more than you are to the word of God, there might be a problem. What's capturing your attention? We do this with nationalism. When we call our country the great power, the hope of the world, only Jesus is the great power, the hope of the world. Only Jesus saves. Even on a day when we're, we're thinking about the, the, the great things and we're thankful today, but it's not the great power. It's not Jesus. We have to stay focused and make sure that we don't give things power that they don't have. Christ alone saves We do this when we turn to anything else that might give us worth or purpose. We turn to work or or sports or diversions to try to find happiness. And only Jesus has the power to give us these things, to give us identity, hope, purpose, joy, peace in this life. 
in our Bible reading plan, we recently finished uh, the, the letter to John, and 1 John ends with, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Be vigilant over this. Watch over this. Keep yourselves from idolatry. All these things that can capture our hearts and attention because we long just for some power over these situations we can't control. We long for some purpose and identity and pleasure. But only God can truly give us the things we need. And if we turn to God instead of to idols, God does have the power to transform our hearts, to give us the purpose, to give us the peace, to give us those things that we long for. And when we are tempted to turn to other things, when we're in those moments where we feel powerless, we just want to reach out for something, we need to remember, oh Lord, I'm feeling weak, I need you. Because when I am weak, I am strong in Christ. It's through Christ that I'm strong. The third way that we see God's power at work in this passage is God's power changes prejudice into love. I noticed something in this passage that I had never noticed before in all of my years of reading the Bible. I'm actually very excited to share this with you. Uh, in verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Sam Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that, the, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now some people call this moment actually the Samaritan Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit has now been poured out on the believers in Samaria. Now friends, you Christians here, what do you know about Jews and Samaritans? What do you know? They're enemies. They hate each other. They despised each other. They avoided each other. They won't even travel through their lands. That's how much they hated each other. And Jesus, in the Gospels, he had begun to show God's love. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well and so on. And there was a very negative incident that happened in the Gospel of Luke. And remember, this is a two-part work. Luke wrote Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The same author here. And something happens in Luke 9 that I want to show you. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans, they hated the Jews too. They simply wouldn't welcome Jesus. And considering how important hospitality was in these cultures, this is like a big slap in the face. But perhaps not unexpected, considering the present hostility. And then in verse 54, it says, When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? What a strange request. But actually, this happened, if, uh, I can't get into it now, but the prophet Elijah had done this before. And so they're, they actually, the, the disciples, if, if we give them any credit at all, they have, the, they have the faith that this could happen. Lord, should we use our power to destroy these people? Should we call down bombs? Should we destroy them with fire? Should we kill them, Lord? But Jesus turned and rebukes them. Oh, I would have loved to hear that rebuke. Do you understand anything that I've been trying to teach you? He rebukes him. I'm sure John and James remember this moment forever. Jesus turning to them directly and, and rebuking them. You don't get it at all. Then he and the disciples went to another village. 
John is rebuked by Jesus for his hate-filled desire to destroy the Samaritan. And now, several years later, the apostles hear something. Oh, the word of God has spread to Samaria. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And actually, John, we would like you to go and travel over to Samaria and welcome them into the family of God. We'd actually like you to go lay hands and pray and commission them as new believers into the same family. The John who had earlier wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy them is now laying hands upon these Samaritan believers and is not calling down literal fire from heaven, but the fire of the Holy Spirit to come be upon them and fill them. Fire from heaven is coming down, but it's the Spirit of God in them. Oh, what a beautiful transformation. Can you see the beauty of what John has experienced? And I'm sure as he's laying the hands on them, he remembers every word that Jesus said to him. He's remembering every word as he lays hands on them and prays for them. He has not forgotten what he had said back in Luke 9. And now he's praying for them to receive the Spirit. Oh, only the power of Jesus, friends, has power that can change people like this. It is radical power to turn hatred into love, to turn rage into reconciliation, to turn divisiveness into unity, to turn avoiding each other to being a family. This is what Jesus is still doing today. You know, our world is longing for reconciliation across race and ethnicity and political ideology. And there are some in the church who are they're concerned maybe about the, the methods or the rhetoric or maybe critical race theory being used to support some of these things. And yeah, the, tr- the world will recommend things that at times aren't perfectly right. You know what? We have the power to, filter, to take the good and filter out the bad. We can do that because we have the mind of Christ. And we can learn from these things. But I'm concerned a little bit, friends, that we can be so caught up in the, the divisiveness and the polarization of some of these topics that we might be even in danger of calling evil what God calls good. We should never call wrong or evil what God calls good. It is not somehow partisan or unbiblical to be for justice, to believe that racism is wrong, to stand up for the marginalized, to promote reconciliation across differences in race and culture and ethnicity. These are thoroughly biblical, word-centered, Christ-honoring things. The church is pro-racial reconciliation. The church is pro-justice. For all people, from day one, the church of Jesus Christ was bringing Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles and all kinds of people who hated each other and said, we're making you one family in Jesus Christ at the same table. Two weeks ago, in in Acts chapter 6, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, there was a racial tension in the church, and the church solved it. This was central to the gospel of Jesus, and it always has been. It is not a fad. It is not just swimming in the cultural streams of this moment. It's part of being the kingdom of Jesus who wants every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship around his throne. And we may, we may debate a little bit, okay, how do we get there? That's fine. But let's never forget that God wants us to be a beloved community that loves each other. And we are the ones who know the secret. We know that the only way the world will see an end to its sad divisions is to come to the cross and to confess our sins 
and embrace each other as family. We know how to be reconciled to other people because Christ has reconciled us to God and to each other. And people say, you know, Nate, that's well and good. Just focus on the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that God, Ephesians 2, he's tearing down the dividing walls of hostility. Galatians 3, he's bringing Jews and Gentiles, slave or free, men and women, to be one in Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John was transformed from somebody who wanted to call fire down and destroy people to praying for people to receive the Spirit. That only happens, friends, because of the gospel. That happens because of Jesus Christ. We are one family, one family, one family. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, bowing at the feet of Jesus. One family, one faith, one baptism. We are one in Christ. Amen. Thank you. We believe that through the gospel, through the gospel that what happened to John, the apostle, who, by the way, wrote all those letters about loving one another, that what happened to him can happen to all of us. God has the power to change hatred into love, the power to move us from indifference to practical concern for our brothers and sisters who are different. God's power can do this. I almost don't want to move on, but I need to. Number four, God's power draws people to himself. The final scene in Acts chapter 8 where we see God's power at work is where he sends Philip to explain the gospel to an Ethiopian man. And this is a divine appointment. The angel of the Lord tells Philip to go south towards Gaza. No other instructions, but Philip obeys. And he encounters this powerful Ethiopian man who just so happens to be reading out of the book of Isaiah. And the spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. And then the Ethiopian eunuch essentially invites Philip to come explain to him the prophecy about Jesus found in the book of Isaiah. And Philip begins with that very passage and tells him the good news about Jesus Christ. And then after he's done, it says, look here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? By chance, by chance, wink, wink, there is water right there, right after the gospel is being done explained. I mean, look at how powerful God is in this passage. He guides Philip to go down this road at the exact time where he would meet this man who was reading at this exact time from Isaiah about the part where it's about Jesus. And after he explains the gospel, look, water is right here. God has arranged this meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And tradition has it that this man goes down back to his home country and spreads the gospel there. You know, friends, I believe God is still drawing people to himself. And he invites us to participate in this amazing plan. And we just need to be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting every day. Something I've been trying to do personally is like, God, like, why am I here right now? Like, why are you here right now? What is God trying to do in your heart, even in this moment? The Holy Spirit is at work. And we just have to be open. God, what are you doing? What are you doing with my life? Every day is filled with amazing spiritual opportunity if we would just have the spiritual eyes to see it. So friends, what I really want to say is God alone is the true great power. Not, not Simon the sorcerer who said he was the great power of God. Not anything in all creation. 
God has the power to turn what was evil into something good, to turn people from false idols into worshiping him instead. He has the power to turn hatred and prejudice and indifference into love and to draw people even directly to himself. So friends, when you feel powerless, what do you do? What do you turn to? Who do you turn to? We need to remember, when I am weak, when I am weak, I am strong in Christ. Can you say that again with me? When I am weak, I am strong in Christ. You know, I began this sermon by talking about our feelings of powerlessness. And the truth is, friends, there is a whole lot that we are powerless over. That's just the truth. The first two steps of AA is brilliant. Step number one, admit I have a problem of which I am powerless over. We have so many things that we are powerless over. Step number two, turn to a power greater than myself. And we know that that power is Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Amen? It is through him that we have supernatural strength to face the trials in this life. And God can do more than all, all we could ask or imagine. And when we feel pow- powerless, we can admit it. And when, then we turn to him. We turn to him. We turn to him in prayer and worship and lament. And we ask him for the strength that we need. And I just want to remind you that we have access to this power through prayer. But not only that, the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And whenever you are weak, you are strong in Jesus Christ. That's not just a a mantra, that's a truth. Turn to him in every situation because God is able. Amen?